Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples. And this morning, what I'd like for us to think a little bit about is what does that actually mean? Uh, and how does that apply to us today? The word that Jesus used that's translated into our scriptures from the original Greek text where it was written into English, that word basically means a devoted, lifelong follower, a fully devoted follower, student of Jesus. And really, it just means to be a fully devoted follower of whoever the teacher may be. And in this case, Jesus was saying, of course, he is the teacher and he is wanting us to help others become students of his. Now, in our culture today, if you look up that word disciple in the dictionary, depending on which dictionary you use, it'll be something like this. A disciple is a person who believes in the ideas of a leader and then tries to live according to those ideas. But I want you to understand the difference between what Jesus is talking about and what our modern-day use of that word is because... Jesus wants us to do so much more than just believe in his ideas and try to live according to his ideas. He wants us to literally be in relationship with him, a connection. That's the connotation of the type of disciple, the fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's what he was talking about. Because it's more than just a belief in the ideas of Jesus. It is literally realizing who Jesus is. Jesus himself said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when Jesus was talking about the Father, he was talking about God, our creator. And so literally when we become a disciple of Jesus, it's coming to the realization that he is the son of God, he's the way to God, and he is the truth. Now, there are many people who will reject the truth, but that doesn't negate what the truth is. And Jesus proved that in uh, what he did. In fact, uh, as Jesus taught that he was the only way to God, when he made that statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he was talking to his disciples. And it was actually before he went to the cross. So he was preparing them because they had seen him do the miracles. They had seen the teachings. They had been with Jesus in the good times. He was preparing them for what was going to be a difficult time. And he wanted them to know that it was not catching him by surprise, but it was actually part of God's plan. And so he wanted them to be ready. And that's why in this passage of Scripture where the teaching of Jesus, the words are recorded, the Apostle John, who was one of his disciples, spent time with him, walked with him, wrote down things and told others about things that Jesus said and did. We have it recorded for us still this day in the Scriptures in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And during this time, as Jesus was preparing them again, before he went to the cross to be crucified, so this was before he was arrested and everything, He spoke these words. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And that's a message really for all of us today, isn't it? I mean, the world is just full of difficulty and things that cause us anxiety and heartache. And we see a lot of division in the world. And Jesus still is, and it was the same back then, just different stuff, but same dynamics, same principles. And he wanted to reassure them. And so he said, don't let your heart be troubled, even in the midst of all this. And then he gives us the reason why. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, 
believe also in me. Now, again, in that day, there were many different gods, many different religions, and he was wanting people to see, and even his disciples to see, that regardless of all these other teachings and things that have been in the world, you believe in God, but I want you to believe in me. Because I am now God in the flesh, here in your presence. I'm showing you who I am. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now again, that's one of the English versions that we use, the King James Version. But when, you, when he was saying, in my Father's house, he was saying, in, in the dwelling place, the abode of my Father, are many mansions. It doesn't mean they want to disappoint you doesn't mean you're going to have a million-dollar house in heaven. <laughs> but he's saying there's, there's space in you. There's many rooms. There's many places, and it's going to be wonderful. And so that's why it's translated into our English language because we all get a mental picture of what a mansion is, something glorious and good. And that's what Jesus was saying is in my Father's house, in, in the abode of where my Father is, there's many wonderful dwelling places. It's amazing. So in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. It, get, did you hear that? If it were not so. If it was all a myth, if it wasn't true, I'm here to tell you the truth. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he said this. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I don't know about you, but many times when I've heard this passage growing up, sometimes I've heard pastors preach on this, teach on this. I'm not disparaging them in any way because, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say is exactly right, but I think the Lord is giving me just a deeper understanding of what Jesus meant by that. When Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he I believe he was absolutely talking about preparing a place and a way for us to get to heaven. But I don't necessarily think he was talking about that after he died on the cross and rose again, that he was going to go up to heaven. And he's been up there now all these thousands of years, dusting the place off and getting everything ready so that everybody can have this wonderful place in heaven. And I've heard some pastors teach on this before, and they've said statements like, you know, God created the world in six days and the universe and everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and that's been 2,000 years ago. So just imagine what Jesus has done in these 2,000 years preparing a place for us. And, and maybe that's true. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, again, disparaging that. I just want to go deeper than that because what I believe Jesus really meant because of the timing of when he said it, he said it before he went to the cross so when jesus said behold i go to prepare a place for you i think he was saying i'm going to prepare that place for you by the price that i'm going to pay i'm going to give my life for you i'm going to be falsely accused because i am the truth i am the way people are going to reject the truth they're going to reject the way they don't believe who i am and therefore i'm going to be falsely accused well, really, again, he was telling the truth, but lies were going to be told about him, even though he was the truth. And here's the thing about truth. So you and I need to realize this today. If it was the same back then, it's absolutely going to be the same now. We could speak the truth, and people may or may not believe it, but it does not change the truth. 
And this is what Jesus was saying to his disciples before he went to the cross when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you because he, he says right after this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And basically I believe what he was saying is, I'm going to prove that I am the truth. Because people are going to reject me. They're not going to believe I'm God in the flesh. They're going to nail me to the cross. It's no surprise for me. It's all part of my plan. I'm going to allow them to do it because even though they're rejecting the truth, I'm going to show them you can't change the truth. I'm not going to say you can't handle the truth like a famous movie line. <laughs> we can handle the truth. In fact, we did when he walked among us. Oh, there's something for you. We handled the truth. His disciples hugged him and looked at him and shook hands with him and walked with them. So we can handle the truth. But sometimes people don't want to accept the truth. They want to reject it. And so God being God, Christ being God in the flesh said, it's not going to change whether you believe me or not. You can reject the truth, but it's not going to change the truth. And I'm going to show you. And so he allowed himself to be nailed on that cross and pour out his blood and he died. And then everybody thought, see there, we told you he's not true. In fact, people walked by on the cross and they said, if you're really the son of God, if you're the Messiah, why don't you come down off that cross, save yourself? And, and he's just, you know, in God's way, he's like, I'm not finished yet. I got a bigger point to make than this. And so after he died and they laid him in the tomb, three days later, he got up bodily, rose again, walked out of that tomb and said, told you so. <laughs> I am the truth. You know, you all can reject it. You cannot believe it. You can nail me to the cross. You can say I'm not true, but I'm true. And I'm going to prove it to you. And he did. So when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, I believe he was talking about the cross. And then when he said, um, I'm preparing a place for you, and then I'm going to come unto you and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also... I, yeah, I think he was talking about heaven, but I think he was also talking about the immediately results, immediately the results right after his crucifixion and his resurrection. Because what did he do with his disciples? After he rose from the dead and he walked out of that tomb, he sent word and he said, I want to meet with you all in Galilee. And he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days on and off in various ways, various forms, his new glorified resurrected body. They didn't fully comprehend it or understand it, even though they were seeing it and experiencing it because, again, he is true, and he is truth. And sometimes we have trouble comprehending the truth or understanding the truth, but we need to trust in the truth. And so for 40 days, Jesus interacted with them. Guess what he was doing? He was coming again. He was coming back to life. I get to prepare a place for you, and if I get to prepare a place for you on the cross, I will come again and receive you unto myself, rising from the dead, meeting with his disciples, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's the point, folks. You don't have to wait to go to heaven to be in relationship with Jesus. If you open your heart to him and you receive him now as your Savior, through his Holy Spirit, he comes into your life, you receive him, he receives you, that where he is, there you may be also. Yeah, that's going to be in heaven, but it's also to help you right here in the here and now. And this is what we've got to begin to understand. Accepting Christ begins right now, and walking with Jesus begins right now in this world. Because otherwise, if that's not what it meant, we'd all be done. Eternity would already be finished, and it would be set. But Jesus is trying to tell you and I, this is part of the story. And you all are missing so much of it because you're waiting for something to happen and you're missing what I'm doing right now.
and what I'm offering right now in this world. That's why Jesus said, while you're in the world, you will have trouble, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give, not as the world gives, give I unto you. So I hope it'll help you to think a little deeper. So then after Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. So I think he was talking absolutely about his death on the cross, his resurrection. I do believe, though, he was also talking about being with him forever in heaven, right? Because after those 40 days of appearing to his disciples, spending time with them off and on, he ascended into heaven and they witnessed it. They saw him and he gave them a promise. He said, I'm going to go up into heaven, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he, I am going to indwell you. I will be in you. I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And you see, in God's wisdom, what Jesus was doing is by going up into heaven and sending his spirit into the world to where any of us who put our trust and faith in him and believe the truth, because remember, right after Jesus made this statement, those statements I'm just quoting to you several times, that's when he made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. By the way, just another little thing, in verse 4 there, John 14, where Jesus says, and where I go you know, and the way you know, why would Jesus say that? He had been telling his disciples before the crucifixion, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected by the priests and the religious crowd. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again. He was telling them that, and I believe that's why he said, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And yet, look at what Thomas said just like people do today, we hear the gospel, we hear God speaking things, and we still just don't quite get it, even though we've heard it over and over and over again. We know the way. It's through Christ. But sometimes we still question or we get fuzzy about it. So anyway, Lord, we don't know the way, and how can we know the way? And then again, Jesus makes that great statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me because he is the Father in the flesh. He's God in the flesh and he's paid the price for you and I, for our sin. That's why Jesus also said this, a familiar passage in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He was talking about himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he really nails it down. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned. We're already walking around in our sin and our separation from God and don't think that you're better than somebody else or you know, they're worse than you or people are better than you. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all have fallen short of his holiness and his righteousness and have not lived up to who he really created us to be. That's why the world is in such a mess. So God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, Jesus said, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. He loves us. He wants to do something new and fresh in our life. He wants us to experience a relationship with him whereby we can begin to become transformed and become new and to reach our full potential in him. And in his love, he does it 
It, it happens instantaneously, just like birth, but then as we learn to live it out, it can become a process. Jesus proclaimed that he was God in the flesh. He made statements like this in John chapter 10, verse 30 is recorded, where he said, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Go ahead and put that slide up there. I just want you all to see that. Those two statements right there, very simple. There's many other ways that he taught that he and God were one and the same. There are some who try to claim that, oh, Jesus never really claimed that he was God. That was just something his followers did later because they wanted to get more people to follow and everything, so they just built on this whole myth of Jesus the teacher, baloney. Don't believe those lies. Jesus absolutely claimed he was God in the flesh. We, and again, we have not only these statements, we read accounts where some of the Jewish priests and rabbis wanted to stone Jesus because he dared to equate himself with God. So we have absolute historical written evidence in the scriptures that he claimed he was God, and in fact, that's what got people upset. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. This is an amazing statement. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. Every other world religion teaches that somehow we've got to do certain things to become acceptable to God or whatever that uh, higher form of being or existence or whatever it is, whether it's, you know, uh, Buddhism or Eastern mysticism and all those kind of things, whether it's Islam or whatever, it's always us trying to do things to reach a higher level or to, to somehow earn a position of favor whereby we can achieve heaven or that higher plane or whatever it is. All the other religions talk about that. Christianity is the only one that says you cannot do it, but God loved you enough that he's doing it for you. And yes, I know there was a sacrificial system that the Jewish people had that God was using as an object lesson, and there are many other world religions that offered sacrifices to their God. The difference with Christianity is those things were not really to make a person acceptable to God. It was to test faith, and it was to be an object lesson to show this God was going to offer a sacrifice of himself for us to himself. That's incredible. There's no other, no other religion. It's what separates Christianity from everything else. It's not us trying to work our way to heaven. It's God loving us enough that he came to us, paid a price for us, and gives us an invitation to trust him. It's grace. It's undeserved favor. So God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, when you all get it figured out and when you uh, live up to my standard, then I'll come and you'll be worthy enough for me to die for you. No, he died for us while we were still rejecting him, not believing in him, going our own way. And he said, you know what? I love you so much, I'm gonna demonstrate it while you're a mess. And though you may not even believe me or trust me, I'm gonna die for you. And then the scripture goes on and says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What wrath? Well, the wrath of a holy and righteous God toward our sin. Because again, God is absolutely loving and merciful, but he's also holy and righteous and he's just. And so as a judge, he wouldn't be a just judge if he did not have consequences for sin 
and require something that would justify us, make us right. So we get that in our court systems, not only here in America, but really around the world. If laws have been broken, fines are either paid or you serve time in jail, there's something to show there's consequences for breaking those laws that are supposedly put there for the good of everyone. So in God's uh, system of justice, because he created us, and we have all at one point or another either been apathetic to him or rejected him, we've either done things that we should not do, or we've not done things that God wants us to do. Either way, it's rebellion, it's disobedience, it's sin. And God says, I know you really can't pay the penalty for this to satisfy my righteousness and my justice, but I love you so much, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. I'm going to pay the fine for you. Literally, it's like the judge paying the fine for the person that's standing before the judge. But you see, that way God can remain holy and just and righteous and at the same time show his mercy and grace. But what we need to do is to receive that gift, just like a person standing before a judge that owed a huge fine and couldn't pay it. If the judge offered to pay the fine and that person says, thanks, judge, thanks, but no thanks, I don't want it, then they're still under condemnation. What God wants us to do is understand what he's done for us in Christ, the payment that he made to satisfy his own righteousness through his own life, death, and resurrection, and he simply wants us to believe it, receive it, trust, and walk in it. That's what I was talking about. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He rose again to show This is how much I love you. I am the truth. I want you to believe the truth, receive the truth. Trust me. As I mentioned, Christ rose from the dead three days after his crucifixion, appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days, off and on, then ascended up into heaven. They witnessed that, and he said, I want to fill your life with my spirit, and I want you to... to, Go and be my hands and feet in this world, no matter where you go, whatever you do, and let people know I'm available for them. You're going to be my witnesses. It's what Jesus said in Acts uh, chapter 1 when he's uh, it's talking about right before he ascended into heaven. He told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in all the world. Witnessing is not as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. A witness simply tells something that they have seen or heard or experienced. And so what Jesus wants us to do is to be able to tell other people what we have seen and heard and experienced about him. So basically being a witness for Christ or sharing the message of Christ and being one of his disciples requires us to tell other people about him. In fact, I believe if you're a true disciple of Jesus, you're going to have that desire to let other people know about him. You don't have to do it in an obnoxious way and maybe you're like me, uh, I tend to really do be kind of backward. I really am. It's, it's a miracle of God that I stand before you each week and speak. And I'm just trusting God's power in that. But if, normally if I'm in a room somewhere, I'm the guy that wants to kind of stand at the back of the room unless I have a responsibility to be in front of people and then I, I'll accept my responsibility. But I could be just as intent sitting on the back row or being lost in a crowd. I don't need attention. And yet... After I accepted Christ, I felt this compelling that I needed to tell people about Jesus. But I'm like, how do I do that? And the reason I'm sharing that with you is to say, maybe that's you. You know, maybe you're like, gee, 
I know I should tell people about Jesus, but I'm not sure what to say. I, I don't know how to do it. What are they going to think? So that's a real thing, but what I want you to understand is you need to overcome that. If you're a true disciple, you're at least going to have that desire. Now, here's something else some of you need to hear. If you don't have that desire at all, in your heart, at all, it's between you and God, but I'd question whether or not you truly are one of his disciples. And so if that's you, maybe you need to think this morning, because if you've just been going through the motions and coming to church and you think you're a believer or a follower of Christ, but you have no desire to tell anybody else about him, it's like, eh, whatever, take it or leave it. You know, people are people. You might want to check your closeness with Jesus. Because, see, even in Jesus' day, he had some who followed him up close and personal, his true disciples, and then he had some that followed him casually, whenever it was convenient for them. When they heard he was coming into town, they wanted to see the show. They wanted to see his miracles and his power, and they'd show up, and kind of from a distance, they'd watch. And maybe, you know, maybe in their mind, they thought, sure, I'm a follower of Jesus, because whenever he shows up, I'll go listen to him. But that's not really following him. That's staying where you're at, and when he shows up, you're interested enough to listen a little bit. A, 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 a disciple is a follower. That means where Jesus goes, you go. And Jesus loves us enough to take us places sometimes that's uncomfortable for us. That's part of our learning and our growth, our growing and our understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So... This is something for us to think about no matter where you're at on the faith spectrum or the discipleship spectrum. But anyway, that's his story. That's what Jesus did. It's his life story, and it continues today. So being a witness for Christ and sharing your faith is being able to tell his story, what Jesus has done, and then also talk about your life story and how his life story and your life story has intersected and the change that his story is making now in your story, the story of your life. That's part of sharing your faith. It doesn't have to be hard. It could just be a conversation. You, just, you don't have to try to you know, figure out some way to convince people. Just be a witness. A witness simply tells what they've seen, heard, and experienced. And then it's up for others to, to uh, respond to that. So how can his story become part of your story? In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 17, the Apostle Paul writes this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Two things here just saying, if you really want to know how to become a disciple of Christ, and if it's really authentic, you've got to believe it in your heart. You've got to truly believe it. And then if you truly believe it and you're recognizing that Jesus is the truth in the way and you're responding to that now, you should be willing to talk about it. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Don't keep it a secret. And you really do need the two things going hand in hand. On the other hand, God doesn't want people going around talking about him, but they don't really believe it in their heart. They're just doing it as the thing to do or to fit in somewhere temporarily. So it's got to be authentic. You've got to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And if you do that, you're showing that you have received the gift. Again, I'm not talking about you've got to do these things to earn salvation. This is a way that you show you've received the salvation, the gift of grace. And this is your response to it. Believe it in your heart, confess with your mouth. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It doesn't matter your background. 
doesn't matter uh, your social status, your ethnicity, any of that stuff. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Then he goes on and he talks about this. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord uh, overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's the part that we need to pay attention to if we're truly his disciples. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, go unto all the world and, and make disciples. I want you to, to tell other people so they have the opportunity to be my disciple as well, my lifelong, fully devoted follower. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm trying to do my part this morning. I'm proclaiming this to you. But really, God wants all of you to be preachers. Now, I didn't say you have to be you know, paid for the position. You don't have to prepare sermons and all that. But you do have to kind of prepare a little bit to say, how am I going to talk to others and tell the story of Jesus and how his life has impacted my life so I can tell that story as evidence that he's real so that they have an opportunity to believe. That's all it is. It's not like you're trying to shove something on them or you know, have to come up with this forceful argument. You're just simply giving them an opportunity to believe. Because how are they going to believe if you don't tell them? Well, Mark, there's, they'll listen to you. <laughs> Maybe they won't. Well, they'll listen to other people. There's so many. Other. Yes, there's a lot of resources to help us, and that's the good news. You're not in this alone. But there are some people that only you are the one that's going to impact them. Because you have a relationship with people or a reputation with people or whatever it is, that when they hear it coming from you, it's going to impact them in a whole new way. You can reach people that I can't and others can't, but we're in this together with you. We want to help you. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It's a blessing to have Christ in your life. And it really is a blessing to have the opportunity to tell other people about him. Stop being afraid. Stop looking at it as a have-to Look at it as a get-to. It's amazing. We get to tell the story of Jesus. We have the privilege of talking about him to people. And let the results be up to God and to them. That's why in the midst of this, um, there's this really weird saying that the Apostle Paul writes. He's talking about all this good thing about sharing your faith. And then it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed our report? Why in the world, in the middle of this really inspiring, uplifting passage about talking about the importance of sharing our faith, would there be something in there that's like, well, Lord, yes, not everybody believed. Well, it's because not everybody may believe when you tell them. It still doesn't excuse you from telling them. We're getting the truth here. Tell the truth. Your responsibility is just to give them the opportunity to believe. And then it's their responsibility how they respond to it. So it's not your responsibility to, again, force it or be so convincing. Just share the message. Tell his story. Tell your story, how he's changed your life story, and what he offers to them that their life story can be changed if they'll open their life to him. And that's why this little section concludes, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We need to be willing to talk to others about Jesus. And when you do that, it is basically continuing to build faith and to give them an opportunity to grow in their faith. 
So what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks is, again, just kind of how to do that. How can we share our faith? We want to give you some resources that will help you to do that. It still needs to come from you, but there are resources. We're going to close this message time out today with a video here in just a moment. And, and again, this will carry us through to the end of the service. It's a very creative video that shares the gospel message. And what we're going to do here in a moment, we're going to end our live streaming. And for people that are watching this on live streaming, they can go immediately to our website. And they can watch the video on our website. For those of you that are here in the room, we're going to play the video on the screen. Because I want you to see it here. Now, today I realize sometimes in the auditorium here, there could be some sound issues. You may not hear everything real clear. Uh, we'll do the best we can on that, but I just encourage you, what you see here, watch it again when you get home or when you can really focus in on it and hear. But it's a creative way of sharing the gospel that connects with people, I believe, in our culture today, using some familiar things in our culture, but tying it also back to um, what the Bible teaches. So um, we want you to know that that's a tool that we're providing for you to where if you have trouble telling the story of Jesus, so to speak, you could talk to a friend or a family member and say, hey, there's this cool video. If you want to watch it, just go to our church website and, and, and you can watch that. Click on the link and it'll take you to the video. There's a few other things, uh, just in closing in my part here, that you're going to hear more about this. If you've got the events on the YouVersion app, you'll have these links in that today uh, if you're making use of that uh, Bible app. But evantel.org is, is an organization that helps us learn how to just share the basic gospel message, what scriptures to use to keep it succinct and to the point. And then also bibleproject.com is a great website that helps people begin to grow in their understanding of the Bible. It uses videos that are usually like eight minutes or less in length, and it covers a variety of topics and books of the Bible and all of those kind of things. And then, of course, again, our website. So these are tools we want to continue to give you to help you in your journey as a disciple of Jesus, but to do what Jesus said and to share the message with others so that they have the opportunity of becoming a disciple. So let's go ahead and watch that video now.